Good evening. It's great to be here, isn't it? I love it. You know, Christmas as a date has always been a little bit in people's minds uh, an iffy subject. December 25th, is that really when the Savior was born? Well, we know that this debate has been uh, going on for literally millennia. Uh, in the early church, people were uh, quite aware that there were two pagan festivals that happened on that date. And there were those who thought, no, we shouldn't place Christ's birth on this date. Actually, the truth is no one knew. No one had ever you know, signified a particular date as being that date. Some picked the 25th of December, some picked some dates in January, several dates in April were put forth. But one of the things that came about through this is that the uh, maxim was put forth that Christianity doesn't just conform to the world. By going with December 25th, um, we weren't conforming to the celebrations that were already in place. We were transforming those celebrations. And Christianity continues to transform whatever it touches, Yule logs, Christmas trees, whatever. Uh, we can take what already existed and we can add signif significance to it. We can make it profound. There's one tradition, though, that we don't have to apologize for, that we don't have to explain, and that is the tradition of light, because that has always been a sign of the Savior. That has been the prophecy of the Messiah coming. It is who Jesus claimed to be. So, as we've already read this evening, our passage is returning us to Isaiah 9. Uh, if you were here this past Sunday, uh, no matter what campus you happen to be on at Parkview, you know that we hit Isaiah 9, uh, verses 6 and 7. But we're going to go a little bit earlier than that, and we're going to look specifically, starting in verse 1, at a few verses that kind of mention this light. Uh, I'm just going to read them for us. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness had seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. Tremendous prophecy there. We talked about this past Sunday how Isaiah, the prophet, is writing something about a great event happening. And we focused uh, on that day largely upon the fact that a child would be coming. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, his name shall be, and he lists these uh, names that can only be applied to someone who was truly God. But here we are told that is coming to a specific area, to the land north of Israel, to the northern two tribes, Zebulun and Naphtali. It's important for the people there to know that because they were the ones who were living in the shadow we talked about of the impending doom from the Assyrian Empire. It wouldn't be too long until they ceased to exist 
But not only was that darkness caused by uh, military threat, but it's also caused by spiritual darkness. These two tribes were the ones that first ventured into adopting the religions of the Canaanites living amongst them. If you want to think of it this way, the 12 tribes of Israel, as they came into the land, each one was a light, was a candle, representing Jehovah God. Not only were they a candle for themselves, but they were a, command, a candle for their surrounding territory, for the people who lived amongst them. But unfortunately, the geographical location of these two tribes put them right in the path of danger. Uh, these two tribes guarded a pass, uh, a way that people from the north would commonly travel through the northern part of Israel, from Syria to northern Israel, around the Sea of Galilee, down the Jordan, and eventually to Egypt. And as time went on, uh, through these centuries, we see empire after empire, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Greeks, uh, the Persians, we see the Romans, all of them take this way. The Romans called it the Via Maris, the way to the sea. That sea would be the Sea of Galilee. And any time you lived on a trade route, you could be sure that you were in danger of possibly being overrun by invading armies. Syria to Egypt, it was an important route. And Zebulun and Naphtali, the only hope that they had was to stay true to Jehovah. And of course we know they didn't do so. Well, let's look at our next passage. We're gonna jump ahead to Matthew chapter four. And Jesus is just getting ready to begin his ministry. Uh, we know the story. You know, if you're familiar with Christ at all, you know that Jesus has uh, grown up more or less in the town of Nazareth. He is a person that has been keeping his true identity more or less secret. He wasn't yet ready to launch his ministry, not until he went down to the river and was baptized by his cousin John the Baptist. Uh, he went through the wilderness. He was tempted. He defeated Satan at his own game. He used scripture to do so. Uh, his first miracle is in Cana when he turns the water into wine. But Jesus is gonna do something very important. When his own people reject him in Nazareth, Jesus is gonna move around the Sea of Galilee to the northwest side, and there he is going to take up residence in the town of Capernaum. Now, as we look in Matthew chapter four, we read this, verse 12. Now, when he heard, that's Jesus, had that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what, might be, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. And then the quote from Isaiah, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. 700 years prior to Jesus arriving in Capernaum, Isaiah had written a messianic prophecy, something that would tell people what they could expect of this coming deliverer, this coming man of God, 
the Messiah. He would live in this community. He would come from this community. And there are a lot of messianic prophecies. This isn't the only one, but it's an important one. And all of a sudden we see that Jesus, in the early part of his life, is moving out of Nazareth and he comes around to Capernaum and his whole point in doing this is to begin in earnest his public ministry. Now, as I've already said, this town was important. This is where the Romans put their major taxation station. This is the place where they collected most of the income from the Sea of Galilee area, a very rich area indeed, agriculturally, through the fishing and so forth. It was a place where almost every known religion to man had a representative building or priest or some kind of rite or ritual. Notice in this passage is called the Galilee of the Gentiles. There was a tremendous mixture of people, not just Jewish people, but also Gentiles from all around the world. Herod himself loved to visit this area. It's a gorgeous area of Israel. Jesus strategically moves there. And once there, there is no longer any desire to tell people, keep this quiet. Don't tell anyone what I just did. He begins to launch that ministry. What are some of the things he did in Capernaum? Well, uh, he heals uh, Jairus' daughter. Um, he receives a request from a very wealthy man to heal his uh, servant. Uh, Jesus takes care of Peter's mother-in-law. Um, he does all kinds of things. Uh, one of the most important, though, is when he goes to the synagogue, which, by the way, the ruins of that synagogue are still standing in Capernaum, Jesus encounters true darkness. A man, right there in the middle, if you will, of the church, is possessed by a demon. And this demon has the gall to confront the creator of the world, the Son of God, the Messiah. And if this was supposed to be a testing ground for what was going to come spiritually, it was a rout. It was a demonstration of power. Jesus let him know the light has come. And Jesus cast that demon out and he purifies what's going on there in that synagogue. And the people of Capernaum are put on notice. The Messiah is here. Jesus doesn't just come as a small light. It's not just that there's a light that will be known. He is not just a candle flickering in the darkness. It's a beacon that goes out on that day, a beacon to the world. The Messiah has come, and he's wearing poor man's clothes. He's wearing sandals. He's not rich. He's not highly educated, at least not in the formal sense. He's not what you would expect. But he is the light. He takes that to himself. Jesus says, I am the bread, I am the way, I am the truth, and important for our time tonight, I am the light. It's an amazing, if you go on and read through that chapter, you'll read that like in verse 12, uh, like I just read, that John had been arrested 
And so now from this point on, John is going to re be reduced in his notoriety, in his fame, in his presence, while Jesus comes to the surface. And even in the next three years of his ministry, this light will burn bright and clear, and the people will come to him. They'll want more of it. You see, here's the problem. We live in darkness. Darkness is just the way things are. That's what we deal with all the time. Think about it this way. When God created this universe, what's the standard condition of matter? What is it about the universe that we notice right away when we see pictures of it through telescopes and spacecraft today? It's dark. If it's not for the light of the stars, we wouldn't see anything. And we know this from creation. When God created the universe, it says in the book of Genesis that God created the sun and the moon to give light so that we could measure time. It was day and so forth. Uh, God did not have to create a ball of darkness, right? So that it was naturally light and I'm gonna put darkness so that you guys can have the ability to sleep. That's not the case. That's just the opposite of what happened. Darkness is always there. And because of the fall in Genesis chapter 3, when man decided to rebel against God, we have been plunged into darkness. All of creation groans. It's broken because of sin. Jesus is the light. Since that day in the garden, when sin came into this world, we have been in darkness. Capernaum is a great example of this. It is a place of great darkness. And Jesus came to this town, I believe, strategically, but also to do a showdown, if you would, with the darkness. What a great place for the light to appear. What an amazing uh, opportunity for Jesus to let them know that things will never be the same again. And we say, well, yeah, but didn't darkness win on that cross? Now, I don't think so. In fact, it was a great victory for the light. The darkness thought it had won. Oh, it, it put him on that cross. It nailed those spikes into his ankles, into his palms. It put that fake crown on his head. But little did the darkness understand that in so doing, Jesus took our sins upon himself so that they could be atoned for, so that he could receive the punishment that was due us for our sins that separation from God and defeat it. Jesus defeated death. Jesus overcomes darkness. If we look at another passage, we see John, the gospel writer, says something that's very, uh, if I can use this word, illuminating, right? Uh, we're all familiar, you know, with John chapter one, where it says, in the beginning was the word. John's writing this gospel uh, probably long after Matthew wrote his. And he's, he knows how the people of the world think. He's used to Gentiles. So he's using a very unique phrase when he says, in the beginning was the word, the logos. The word was with God and the word was God. And he goes on down through that. But then in verse five, well, let's go back up to verse four. He says, in him was life. In Jesus was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness 
has not overcome it. What a statement of truth. The darkness has not overcome it. He already knows what happened. He was there at the cross, if you remember. He saw Jesus be put to death, but he was also there on that morning when the stone was rolled away. And Jesus was resurrected by the power of his Father. He came back to life, and he brought eternal life to all those who have a relationship with him. That light was never extinguished. It felt like it. It seemed like it. But Jesus' light is for all eternity. We read that just a little while ago, that that light will never go out. Isaiah says, and his government will rule without end forever and ever. That light will burn bright. Let me ask you today, what light have you ever been around that burns forever? That light that should be in your heart, that should be in my heart, that's the one that's going to go forever. John continues to write, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. It changed everything. When we think of that first Christmas, and that baby laying in a manger, and the angels singing glory, and the shepherds running as fast as they could into that manger as they were so directed by the angels to go see Go see what has happened. And these rough men, not the kind of men that you would think would be called into such a scene, into a royal room to see the king. But they came and they saw and that young woman, we would almost call her a girl, is sitting there holding a baby. And once and for all, the darkness was defeated. Light came into the world. And when he was ready to begin his ministry, he moved to this place to fulfill the prophecy that we read about in Isaiah. And he brought the message of hope, the message of truth, and he was the light. He still is the light. That's what Jesus does, he's the light of glory. He's the light of men. He's the light of the universe. He illuminates for us the truth of God. It's an amazing thing. So what does darkness do in the face of the light? It dispels. It dissolves. It runs. Just like the man who was possessed by the demon in the synagogue at Capernaum, so when we come to Christ, that which is darkness within us is dispersed, it is conquered, it is defeated. It cannot stand in the face of his light. It's Jesus' desire that every time we have a Christmas celebration, since we have chosen to mark a date for Christmas, that our focus should be on the fact that light came into the world, and with that light came the message of hope, the message of salvation. 
The light didn't just get rid of darkness. The light had a purpose, a point to it. And that point is that we can know who God is, that God wants us to have a relationship with him. It's the point of salvation. That's the reason the light came into this world. That's the reason the light points its way to us. It can never stand in other ways. At your home, probably like mine, you have light all over your house right now. You have light on your trees. You have light in your rooms. Some of you have lights on your, or your house. There's lights on your front lawn. And people drive around, why? Just to look at the light. It's so pretty, so wonderful. And that's a great thing. I'm, I'm glad for that. But really, as believers, when we put up light, when we show that we have the light, people should be just as attracted to us. They should be curious about our light. They want to know where to find that light. How great would it be if people knew our testimony so well, they understood who we were so accurately that they would say to one another, hey, let's drive by. You know, let's, let's see our neighbors there. I think they have a light that we don't have. We want to see it beaming. Because when we become in relationship with Jesus Christ, when we give our lives to him, the light that is Christ now becomes the light in us. We glow. We dispel darkness. We define what it means to be in right relationship with the Father. That little baby that came into that manger, that man that moved to Capernaum, that man that went to the cross, that man that rose again from the dead, he did so to conquer death, to dispel darkness, and to give eternal life. Oh, man, what a great message. Come and adore him, we just sang. Come and adore him. Adore him, the newborn king, truly, but adore him, light of the world. God's light. It's my prayer for you and for your family as you celebrate Christmas this week that you remember that you're a light. You are a light if you know Jesus. You have that ability to illuminate others' darkness. You can go to your neighbors, to your family, to your co-workers. Don't just give them a plate of cookies. Don't just give them a gift wrapped up the pretty bow but share with them the message that you have in your heart. Be that light in their, gospel, in their world. Be the gospel in their world. Share that with them. and Let them understand that the Messiah has come and we have tremendous reason to celebrate, right? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word tonight. We thank you for the fact that your light has come. We praise you, Father, for Jesus Christ. There's just no other way to say it other than, Father, we want to be lights. We want to illuminate our neighborhoods. We want to be the ones that bring newness and hope to our families. Thank you, Father. Thank you for coming to us. Thank you, Father, that we don't have to continue living in the darkness as in Isaiah's day. 
But now on this side of the cross, we have the hope of new life, of eternal life. And we trust you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.